Happy New Year and welcome back to the first episode of the Global Digital Banker podcast for 2019. Recent research from RFI Group shows that 30% of businesses in the UK are likely to switch their primary domestic banking relationship within the next 12 months. As such, this week's episode focuses on how open banking is redefining the SME and commercial banking proposition across the UK, as well as drivers to remaining competitive in the digital market, partnerships and some great examples of customer acquisition strategies. Our guests include Richard Davies, Commercial Banking Director at TSB Bank, and Oliver Prill, Chief Executive Officer at Fintech Tide. Sarah Hollinshead here with the Global Digital Banker podcast. I'm really pleased to be joined by Richard Davies, Commercial Banking Director of TSB. Thanks so much for being here with me today, Richard. Thanks, Sarah. Great to be here. So today we're going to tackle the subject of commercial banking. Um, it's a space that's definitely come under the spotlight more and more recently as, as competition has grown and there's newer business models coming in and, and occupying those gaps that banks have left open. But still very much uh, some pain points remaining in terms of improving the banking services for business customers, so both SME and commercial. Um, so today we want to tackle some of those areas um, and you're definitely well informed to answer some of these questions. So I first wanted to kick off talking about onboarding, this very start of the relationship that you're having with those business customers. To what extent has the rise in digital developments within banking impacted your onboarding process for new business customers? And and what efficiencies has this created for the bank as well? So I think everyone in the industry would kind of say this is a really key question right now. It's clearly a key moment of truth for the customer. And it's also really important from the point of view of managing financial primaries. So I joined TSB earlier this year, and our primary focus is on SME. I've done corporate in the past as well. And on the SME side, clearly is really important. You haven't got super sophisticated customers. Uh, they're not typically experts in banking processes. So it's something I look to invest in very much from the start. You've got to aim for an onboarding experience that's quick, seamless, and takes advantage of some of the latest technologies out there. So for me, that's about how do you work with some of the the fintechs out there to get to a really great onboarding journey. So we're working with Judil, who help us provide integration to a range of company data sources to pre-populate forms. We're also working with Jumio, who I think are one of the leading global suppliers of digital identification capabilities, which really helps to prevent the, the need to go in branch and so on. And I guess overall, the aim here should be a win-win. So we're hoping we can reduce the turnaround time for customers by about 80%. And we hope we'll get about 50% more efficient internally. So gets cost down and gets customer experience better. Yeah, that's the dream, isn't it? And partnerships is definitely playing a significant role in the industry to establish those benefits for both the customer and for institutions themselves. But the next stage seems to be a lot of talk around open banking. You can't go to any conference now without open banking taking the forefront in the in the conversation. Uh, I wanted to get your thought on what shifts you see coming off the back of open banking, particularly for the business banking market. Yeah, so listen, I guess I go back a fair way on open banking. I, I was a strong advocate of it in the original CMA inquiry, which led to it being mandated for the CMA nine banks. And I'm a big, passionate advocate of it. And I would say, I think 
the hype is at kind of peak cycle right now. And yeah. I think it will take a bit longer to see adoption come through. Sort of always the, the Bill Gates quote around people always overestimate the transformation in two years and underestimate the transformation in 10 years. I think it really applies. But no, I think there's great opportunities for business customers to be better informed, to manage their finances more easily, to make better decisions. I guess the most obvious example is lending. There's always been this advantage for the the big incumbent banks who've got the current account to have that data for lending. And therefore, 80-90% of business lending is done by the, the incumbent current account bank. And open banking lets that stranglehold be broken. But you can also kind of go much wider than just lending. And I think the, the really interesting use case is how do you go cross sectors to defragment the lives of, of business owners? Things like accounting software, make that reconciliation simple, make expense management simple, make invoice management simple. I think there's so many use cases there to help take applications that were either paper-based or, or sort of desktop-based and fragmented and really join them all together. Mm. Yeah, it's coming up with that one-stop shop service, isn't it, for small businesses in particular, where their expertise isn't necessarily running a business. Their expertise is selling flowers, for example, and, and making it easy enough for them to focus on that main job that they're supposed to be doing as opposed to handling 15 different softwares to run their business. <laughs> yeah, completely. I think that's such a key point that no one really goes into business to either do accounting or banking. Yeah. <laughs> it's how do you make lives easy? And so I want to talk about holding on to those customers. So I mentioned at the beginning, there's lots of new players within this space, um, and particularly those leveraging technology and digital platforms. So our research shows that the drivers for switching um, in the UK are very much around pricing, as typically most things are, um, but also around better online banking offerings. So how are TSB ensuring that they remain competitive in this market? Yeah, so I think... Pricing in particular is often the number one thing people complain about. Uh, people feel that the prices are often not transparent. And <laughs> I think people don't like the fact that often there's an introductory period and then the, the prices go up quite a bit after that. I guess often there's this sort of feeling that there's a penalty for loyalty almost by being an existing customer for a while. So I think there's a need for change in those sort of pricing models across the industry. And it's something that over the next few months, I want to do quite a bit of work on to help challenge some of those pricing models. And really, let's try and provide great value for life, not just teaser rates up front. And I think when you sort of go beyond that into online offerings, I guess you get to a pretty wide range of potential innovation out there, which I think is really quite exciting. And I think there's been at least a decade where not much new stuff has happened online at all. I mean, for me, one of the things I wanted to do quite early on was think about how you provide customers much easier access to finance and much more choice of finance. There's always this thing I, I kind of hate where if you go to a bank's website about lending, it's all quite framed around, do you need trade finance or a high purchase loan or all this sort of stuff? When if you're a small business owner, you don't talk that sort of language. Yeah, We've worked with a fintech called Funding Options, who's the leading lending marketplace in the UK to embed them into our uh, online website. And that allows customers to just simply say, how much do they need, for how long, for what purpose, and then use that to search over 50 different lenders in the market. So 
making less jargon and also providing choice across the market. So quite quite excited about that one. And I guess you, you kind of look at people like Amazon and the success of what they've had with their marketplace and kind of really inspired by those sort of yeah. initiatives to try and do some of that in banking. That's so interesting, isn't it? It's just changing the language is, is almost half the battle here and making it digestible. Like you said, no one thinks I need a trade finance product from my bank. They don't even think in products. They just think I need some money. I need cash flow to deal with. I think it, that's a really interesting way to refocus what you're doing is just really about the language. Exactly that. Keep it simple. Keep it customer focused. Exactly. Yeah. And you, and you mentioned kind of being punished for loyalty. Are you using loyalty or, you know, reward programs in your customer acquisition strategy at all? So my own view is you've got to have fair and transparent pricing for all customers. I'm not a huge fan of say, either differential pricing for new customers or loyalty schemes. Um, I think if you can provide great value throughout the life cycle, that's the best way of keeping a customer. It's about having fair pricing for all and not um, biasing yourself to, say, new customers. I mean, what, what I want to do beyond that in terms of, mm. I mean, you could call it rewards, but I, I don't always think about it that way. More for me about how do you add extra value, sort of helping with some of the key business needs. So with uh, SMEs, I feel one of the, the, the gaps that's increasingly grown in the UK market with the reduction in public uh, service around this is business support and business advice. So if you are that business owner of a 10-person business that's growing and you've got challenges around legal or digital marketing or accounting, you have no expert in that. So, I mean, one of the things I've done is partner with a pretty dynamic enterprise membership network called Enterprise Nation, who have about 70, 75,000 members and have a whole uh, accredited series of advisors all around the country, as well as a good digital platform to help diagnose where you might need help. So I think it's a really great role for banks to play in helping bring um, that sort of business support and advice to business customers. I don't think you should charge for that. I think you should be doing that because it's a value add on top of the, the core banking services you're providing anyway. And I think there's a, a massive opportunity here to help the UK economy. Mm. There's a lot of talk of productivity in small business and how, how do you improve that? And we reckon there's uh, about a 10% productivity benefit if we could get much better business support services as well as banking services into those small businesses right across the country. Mm. And again, you've mentioned a fantastic fintech that you're partnering there. And, and without, you've given some great examples. Something I always like to ask, particularly really experienced bankers like yourselves, is is how do you identify the right organizations to partner with? The ecosystem is growing massively and there's tons of new players. How do you, how do you pick out of the pack? <laughs> Yeah, I guess there's two parts on this, kind of the how do you identify and then how do you pick? I mean, I used to work at a, a big global bank and they had a whole team that uh, did identification of fintechs. We haven't got that here, but I mean, I'm a bit of a fintech geek, mm. particularly when I had six months garden leave last last year when I moved to TSP and I kind of, I'm deeply in the scene. So I, I tend to get a lot of approaches um, from people out there and tend to stay quite close. So I think there's the identification point often is less of a challenge Though we do some, run some proactive RFPs when we, we want a particular area, really want to um, find the best person. I think then how do you actually pick is a really interesting question. And I think not just how do you pick, but how do you also go live and implement? There's this real issue, I think, between fintechs and banks where there's loads of pilots uh, and not much in production. The kind of joke goes that there's more pilots in banks than there are in BA. I think that's kind of something I was really keen to try and avoid in, in TSB. And 
I'm not saying we're totally successful, but I think we've, we've made some progress. So for me, it's about early on, you've got to work out, is the customer value proposition the right one for you? And particularly, is the, the fit around the vision, the values, what you're trying to do, the right, right one to create something that's between the two organizations differentiated? Clearly, you've then got to get into some due diligence. It depends on the type of firm, but things like operational capabilities, information security, the technology stack, uh, conduct risk, legals. I think you can make it less painful for the fintech. Equally, the fintech needs to be mature enough to realize that if you're going to put them into production with a significant sized customer base in a regulated industry, there are certain standards they're going to have to meet. And so it sort of takes two to tango on that one. Mm. You can be really quick on this stuff. I mean, the, the funding options piece I mentioned earlier, we, we signed the contract on that within uh, two, two and a bit months of first kicking off the dialogue. Um, so you, you can be pretty fleet of foot in this stuff. And I think banks are often too paralyzed by inaction. But equally, there is kind of a, an onus on the fintech to also have a reasonable level of maturity and capability to be able to work with a, with a bank. Mm. I love the idea of you spending six months gardening me, just snooping around all the fintechs. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not associated with anyone. I can have all the open conversations. Love that. Um, no, it's, it's, it's a really good point you raise around that, that integration and making sure that it's not just partnering um, and, and leaving it in a pilot stage or just leaving it at that and making sure there's, there's a real outcome. And interesting that you say about the kind of coming together of those two bodies I speak to a lot of executives where culture is the, is one of the most important things beyond just risk and technology and all of the other elements um, is, is culturally making that fit. You know, a room full of bankers and a room full of technology leaders <laughs> is an interesting one in itself. Yeah, though, a hell of a lot of fintech people have worked in some form of banking in the past. Yeah. They're, they're typically people that didn't, didn't love the environment and therefore went and did their own thing. So, I mean, you do get some firms that have no one with banking background at all and not, not, not saying they have no um, abilities to play, but actually a lot of people meeting fintech have kind of worked in some aspect of banking in the past. And that's sort of come across the idea for the, the firm that started. And mm-hmm. they, do, they do get it, I think. So I don't tend to find cultures often that much of a problem. I think culture in the bank is the problem, right? Where you have people who are used to a status quo of we're just going to do our own thing, build our own thing quite slowly and not open to different ideas, different ways of working and so on. I don't find culture is always the problem. It's kind of if that culture results in poor, sloppy practices around information security or coding or conduct risk, then that's kind of unacceptable, um, which can happen as well. So, I mean, agile is no substitute for actual good risk management. Like, It's not incompatible with that either, but some people kind of use agile as a excuse for sort of sloppy kind of management and, and, and lack of compliant practices. And that's that, that, that can't be tolerated clearly in a bank. Yeah. But equally, you get some firms that are super agile and also really pretty smart and switched on when it comes to risk and compliance. And, and those sort of firms, you can work for really quickly. Mm. Well, thank you so much. It's, it's a great insight into what TSB is doing and to how you see the market evolving. So thank you so much for taking the time to share that with me today, Richard. My pleasure. Thank you for the time as well. Sarah Hollinshead here with the Global Digital Banker podcast and really excited to be joined by Oliver Prill, CEO of Tide. So thanks so much for being here, Oliver. Thank you for having me. 
Uh, so it's really exciting times to see. It's been about six months since she's joined the business and tied growing strength by strength in the SME banking space. So what are you particularly focusing on if we're looking to 2019? So really, you know, coming in in a very fast growing business, the first one is to actually manage growth. So we're now signing up a new member, our, our SME customers are members, statistically every eight minutes. Wow. So this is actually quite something. Clearly we want to keep the service as good as it always has been. So yeah. my first focus is actually to make sure we can manage all the significant demand that, that, is, uh, that is coming our way. Secondly, we need to think ahead. So a lot of what we are now focused on is building capability to scale. Right? So a lot of the things about building organizational structures, segregation teams, hiring people, takes up a lot of our time. And last but not least, we're looking at our strategy, although our strategy, I think, has been very successful. So we're not looking to fundamentally change it, but to tune it you know, for the, uh, for the next phase of development. So a lot of consolidation. You've sort of got to a stage where the brand is known. You've got that customer acquisition, which is fantastic. Absolutely. That's absolutely it. Um, so really, 2019 will be another year of significant growth for the business um, and look very much important and so in terms of acquisition of those customers where, where are you seeing them coming from is it more of the lending focus that's bringing them to the business is it the other support that you have on the accounting receivable side well, what are the different offerings that you think are drawing those customers over so I think the first thing we have to realize in the UK the SME sector does not particularly like the big four bank. So I think this is one thing you actually starting from a quite, quite an advantage point because given a choice, they would prefer not to bank with them. I think what attracts people to, to Tide is I think a multitude of things. Uh, firstly, our onboarding process is very straightforward and fast. So yeah. you can actually open that down because you know SMEs want to focus on their business. They don't really want to focus on administration. So that's the first thing. Secondly, people are spending statistically 48 days a year on administration. So everything we can do to reduce that time is uh, well rewarded by the members. And so one of the things, for example, we did is we were the first one to integrate the new Zero bank feed. So within 18 seconds, you can actually integrate your Zero app, and then it actually automatically transfers all the data. So it's these sorts of things that attract people to us. Lending is a driver, but by far not the most. Yeah, as you said, it's someone who runs a florist cares about flowers. They don't care about the intricacies of running a business. And that's where someone like the likes of Tide comes in and is able to support in that way. Absolutely. I speak to a lot of members. Actually, one of the things I really try every week to speak to members, and I can tell you it's a very clear hierarchy. Right. So the first <laughs> thing they would like to do is actually build their business. Right. Yeah. Which is exactly it. Not do the admin for their business, but making the flower shop better in what, you know, whatever idea they have. Secondly, they're actually very scarce for time and they love to spend their Sunday afternoon with their kids. So what I immediately hear is, look, all your great invoicing tools, your expense classification tools, allow me to actually do this on the go rather than on the Sunday afternoon, which I now can spend with my kids. And the last thing they have to do and they don't really like to do is all the admin. So, you know, that's really our focus to help our members lead. We call it actually member well-being, right, to actually right. Help, help them achieve their objectives in these three hierarchies. It's a, it's a nice thing to think of them as members. I'm sure there's a, a community feel that comes off the back of that, which is lovely. Exactly. I mean, there are a couple of things that's actually very important. So firstly, it makes our customers attached to business in a certain way. And there's yeah. a big community spirit. So a lot of people interact with us on the community side. But there's another reason for this. 
which is the internal one. So if you went to the tight office, you would not only hear us talk about members, but you would see pictures of them everywhere. And it really creates an ethos where you know we are about doing the best thing for the members. We're not about in the short run to maximize profits or anything. Yeah. Do the best thing for the members in the long run is the best thing for our business. Yeah. And I mean with that the SME is a very complex customer group to serve. And we have these fantastic tools such as Zero, which you mentioned, with accountancy, lots of digital innovation and collaboration happening to help on that side of things. But as their needs become more complicated, do you see digital only servicing being an issue? Or are you seeing that as, as, as actually benefiting you in that way? So first of all, I think if you're not in the fintech space, you know, you don't think, you know, as, our members don't think of us as a digital or fintech proposition. They just think <laughs> of us as a, a good a business banking proposition. Right. That's how we position it. So first of all, we already have today cash services. We were actually the first ones to introduce the post office. So you can deposit cash, withdraw cash. We, at the moment, offer chat. And I think one thing that we will do next year is we will actually roll out optional 24-7 phone support. Okay. And you will also be optionally to be able to sign up to a relationship manager. So this is recognizing that SMEs have different needs. And as you say, it's very, very different your, let's say, IT consultant who is, let's say, a digital native, honestly doesn't want to speak to anyone, loves, <laughs> yeah. loves to have a really highly usable app to, let's say, the more mid-sized business that has richer needs that from time to time does want to speak to someone on the phone. Yeah. And we will cater for all of that. And I think this is one of the things that is different about Tide. We fundamentally believe you need to focus on SMEs. So we will not do anything consumer. We will not get distracted by white labeling. We're really about our Tide platform and delivering a proposition that meets these very diverse needs that different SMEs have. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about the SME space is is it's really ripe for disruption. I, sort of, I hate that word, but it, it really is at the, this pinnacle moment where people that run businesses are also consumers and they have a certain experience on their consumer banking side that there is now an expectation, particularly I think for entrepreneurs and SMEs within their business banking. And this is where I see a lot of exciting innovation coming up now. Do you think the banks are innovating quick enough for this sector? Do you see the banks playing an important role for SMEs moving forward? Or how do you, how do you see that playing out? So I think the oligopoly of the big four yeah. will be broken. There's Brain no one. question. Love right? I mean, it will be broken for a number of reasons. I yeah. mean, one is, you know, they're really harming SME well-being. I mean, it's just, you know, in everything from lending to time wastage on administration, etc. Yeah. Honestly, you know, their track record of rapid change has been rather modest. Right? So, um, you know, the, the likelihood that they will adapt well will be very low. However, on the other hand, you have to recognize that this is a very important sector. So the government will not allow any one player to dominate. I think these ideas of winner takes all that you have in some tech will never happen in financial services, definitely not in something as significant as uh, um, small business banking. So, you know, our view of the market is there will be a range of players and we welcome that. Probably at the moment, the big oligopoly players have uh, 20% market share each. Probably in the long run, no single player will have more than 10 to 15 percent. That's our view, and there will be a rich set. I mean, yeah. We believe tight at the at the upper end of, of the players, but you know our mission is not to build a new monopoly, right? I mean, our mission is to provide a really distinct proposition 
that uh, hopefully appeals to many, many SMEs and increases their well-being. But, you know, no one counts on winner-takes-all in, uh, in SME banking. And anyone that does, I think, doesn't understand the fundamental dynamics of the firm. Yeah. And, I mean, it's interesting. Our research shows it's, it's around 30% of businesses in the UK are likely to switch their primary domestic banking relationship within the next 12 months, which is a, quite a high statistic as a primary bank relationship. But, Tide, you're offering valued services, no doubt. Do you see yourself as an alternative to a bank? Yeah, so first of all, the vast majority of our accounts are primary accounts. As a matter of fact, the vast majority of our accounts are the only accounts. Uh, and for the, the next group, we are actually the primary account. We actually have relatively few secondary accounts. Secondly, in the market, if you look at, uh, actually most SMEs tend not to have very many accounts. It's very different to consumer. Consumer, it's very easy to open up. You know, I go to a Revolut or I go to a Monzo and I quickly open my yet another account that I just have a card in my wallet. For an SME, because you integrate it with your accounting, you actually do your business through it, there is, let's say, an inherent need to concentrate on one, maybe two accounts. And therefore, you know, we have a specific obligation, right, to provide a robust service. We, we, you know, we are not set up to be yet another sort of second second tier player that uh, you know, may exist in the consumer space, but we really want to be the primary relationship. Yeah, which may be a, you know, a bigger piece of the pie to take then to that point, isn't it? Because consumers are more likely to have multiple products, but small businesses are looking for a one-stop shop. They want everything in that one place. So This is exactly, I mean, exactly. It's a very, I mean, I think, you know, this is often when I speak to investors where you see the difference between people that understand the dynamics and they don't. And consumer is really about the marginal cost of having an additional account somewhere is zero. Yeah. Like it's two minutes on it. You know, you would probably for any bigger purchase anyway have the time to shop around for your mortgage. This is very different dynamics in small business. Small businesses really there is a significant cost of running multiple accounts because you need to all integrate into your accounting, yeah. spread your liquidity. It's popular, so there's, 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 let's say there is an emphasis on having few accounts. Secondly, your time is limited, and therefore, if your, you know, if your small business account provider provides great administration solutions, great lending, etc., you're very likely to take it because it just saves you time. Yeah. Right? And he's had infamously time for customer service. Exactly. And so, I know it's spoken about a lot, but open banking PSD two. How much has this impacted your business model and, and your intentions moving forward for growth? So I think there's PSD2 and uh, open banking in a narrow sense, and I think there's the broader view of API-based ecosystem. So fundamentally, we are tied. We believe tied as a platform. As a matter of fact, we talk about tied as a platform, which means, in essence, we integrate great product partners. So we've got Iwoka already as a beta for for credit. You know, we link to zero. I mean, I could list the whole set of partners and we'll integrate more and more. So we don't have an aspiration to do that. Now, the enabler for all of this is APIs. Yeah. Now, some of these APIs are you know, industry standard ones and some of them are effectively proprietary APIs. To us, the most important one for uh, open banking, uh, the way it will change, it will make switching even easier. Right? Uh, because it doesn't, you know, the cash solutions that we currently have, it's a bit technical, but that's where you can close your current account and then basically forward your payments, to put it uh, simply, you know, has limited appeal. And of course, with open banking, it would allow you to run a third-party account through the tied app. And we're very open to it, right? I mean, you know, in the end, our full ethos is really doing the best thing for the members, and we have a platform strategy anyway. However, 
Having said all of that, I think until we really see the full dynamics of PSD2 and open banking coming to bear, I think we are years because many banks will move very slowly on this and only as they need to. Yes, it does seem there's, there's different responses from the industry in terms of seizing an opportunity here or simply complying. Thank you so much for joining me. That was a really fantastic overview, really exciting times coming up for Tide and certainly everyone will be keeping a watch out. Thanks, Oliver. Great, thank you for having me. We hope you enjoyed the episode this week. For more content on the podcast, head to globaldigitalbanker.com. For updates on upcoming episodes, check us out on Twitter at GDB Podcast or on LinkedIn under RFI Group. And for those who'd like to discover more insights on the SME and commercial space, don't miss our upcoming Global Business Banking Summit being held on the 27th of February in London.